Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. This episode is brought to you by Mastering Adversity, Unlock the Warrior Within, and Turn Your Biggest Struggles into Your Greatest Gifts. Surprise, surprise, that's my new book. It's now live. You can grab a copy on Kindle, paperback, or hardcover. I'm getting a lot of amazing feedback from people telling me that it hit them really hard in the beginning, that they started to cry and all of that. Although that wasn't my intention, it just means that you know it's powerful from the start. And people have been telling me how, how much they've enjoyed it. And, you know, that's why I did it. And, you know, we put our, put a lot of effort into this book and um, it's one of the, you know, the best achievements of my life. So thank you for everybody that have purchased a copy. If you haven't yet, go ahead and grab a copy. The link to Amazon is below and you won't be disappointed and you'll get to learn a little bit more about why I do what you do. And if you want to support this show in any way, financially, that's a great way to do it. So Mastering adversity, unlock the warrior within, turn your biggest struggle into your greatest hits, greatest gifts. Hits would be cool too. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon. We hit it in a bunch of categories and uh, it's really, really exciting. So thank you and go grab a copy. All right. Hey everybody. Before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you a company and a product that I am super excited about that I have personally used and had incredible results from. And I think you will too. The company is called HVMN, and the product is called Ketone IQ. You can find them at hvmn.com. Like I said, it's called Ketone IQ. They have a few products, but this is the one I'm going to speak to right now. I have been fascinated with the ketogenic diet over the years and figuring out, is keto right for me or is burning carbs right for me? And for those of you that don't know the difference, we're either burning sugars, which is carbs, or burning fat, which is ketones. In order to get into ketosis, it's usually a difficult process. I want to keep this as simplified as I can for you guys. A lot of people try the, keto, the ketogenic diet, but they're not able to withstand the discomfort that it takes to get into it. Sometimes you have to fast for a couple of days, eat a lot of fat, and so on. But now, this product allows you to have drinkable ketone shots that gets you there right away, fast, without having to do like a crazy long fast. I know it sounds a little bit crazy. And believe me, I've tried so many different supplements out there from MCT oils to exogenous ketones to ketone esters, all of it. This product is the best. And here's why. I, dur during my 75 hard journey, I really wanted to try out the different diets. I personally love eating meat, fruit, eggs. That's like my, probably my, my favorite diet for sustainability while I travel. But when it comes to cognitive function and body composition goals, weight loss, if I want to lose body fat and I really want to be dialed in, there's no better diet for me. Or there's no better lifestyle than being on the ketogenic diet. Now, this is sometimes challenging to sustain because there's so much junk out there that, um, especially in these bars that we eat, you go to Whole Foods, a lot of it's junk. A lot of this oils that are in it, it's junk. It's hard to stay in that zone. But with these guys, they have these, these bottles 
where you can pour little shots of these ketones when you're um, either before a workout or during a workout, it'll give you that boost and it'll take away that hunger instantly. And I tried this. I went on a, in a fasted state. I was boxing. I was doing two workouts a day with 75 hard. And I would use this product and I would literally be in a fasted state the entire day doing two workouts. Now, I don't recommend doing this for the average person, but if you're an athlete and you want to achieve high performance, I encourage you to, to push your body to the limits. And that's what I did. So I would work out and then I go boxing and I, and I'd be scared because, oh man, I didn't, I, I'm super low on my carb storage right now. I, I, I haven't had any carbs and I've been training a lot. So I would, I would be afraid to go do a high intense workout like boxing. But then I had a shot or two, two doses of this. And I immediately was like, wow. Okay. And it was just enough to get me through the workout. And I'm talking high intensity as well. Normally when I'm in the ketosis state, I run out of energy. So I almost need a little bit of carbs. If I'm training hard, this product really helped me a lot. And not only was it, did it help me with my fitness goals? I leaned out a lot, but it helped me with my cognitive function. Now I love eating carbs. I love training and eating carbs as well. But like I said earlier, sometimes it takes away my mental focus. So this, like, say I wanted to do a podcast, I would have this with some tea or a coffee and I was just dialed in. Okay. So if you guys are curious about the ketogenic diet um, and, or you, and you're, you're curious about how to get into that um, state of burning ketones versus carbs, this is the product to check out. I highly recommend it because there's a lot of things out there I've tried. A lot of them are junk. Some of them are good. There's no caffeine in this or anything like that. And it really just gets to the source and helps you achieve that. So when I use these, I was like, wow, these, these things are amazing. Like, I don't say that lightly because I've literally treated myself like a human guinea pig and tried it all. And sometimes I'm like, man, this stuff doesn't work. And, but this stuff, I really noticed it. The problem is I went through it so fast. It, <laughs> it, it went quick. And because it's so high quality, it's not the most, it's not the cheapest product, but you're paying for quality. And I want to offer this to you guys for 10% off at checkout. And I really want to hear how you feel about this, because if you're anything like me, you really want to achieve optimization. And as we talk about, you know, what it takes to overcome adversity, you got to be operating. Your vessel needs to be operating at peak performance because life can get challenging sometimes, our mindset, all of it. And if we can have things that can help us stay focused, stay high energy, it's going to help us move through the adversity. And so I, I only like to promote products that I feel really help me and that I think would help you. So go grab some Ketone IQ. These guys are awesome. Go HVM, HVMN.com, Ketone IQ, enter the code Lance at checkout for 10% off. That's L-A-N-C-E for a 10% discount at checkout. Go to HVMN.com, Ketone IQ, enter the promo code Lance at checkout for 10% off. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And I freaking love 
these products. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. A little bit of a life update before we get into today's episode. Currently in my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, I've been here for about a week and a half, and I'm staying with my mom till about January. Now it's full on winter here, something that I'm not used to. I haven't spent a Christmas and winter here since 99, 2000. So it's been a while, you know, living out in the West coast of British Columbia, it's very rainy. We don't get a lot of snow, but this snow is in my blood. So it's kind of nice to be back here for the first time in a while. And, you know, to be honest, to catch up with my mom and just spend these times, these moments with her, because I've been away for many years and Currently looking out on the snow is, is so different because, you know, I spent the last year traveling to different countries, Mexico, Miami, Argentina, Colombia, Brazil. If you guys have been following me, you know that. And it's just so interesting that when I record these, I'm always looking at something different. And the background uh, that I see in the videos that we post or on YouTube is always different. And I can always remember where I was at during that. I can see wow, it was tan there. I must've been there and somewhere hot. You know, it's, it's interesting. And unfortunately right now I haven't been in the sun much, so I'm a little bit less tan, but that's okay. So I love it. And it's nice after traveling the world for a year and being in these different places and being in these different beds and all of that. It's so nice to just be back in a spot for a couple of months, just to, just to kind of plant my flag, get caught up on things and just, you know, reflect and, just catch up on things and, and, and start to create again. I just felt like I was always on the go and catching up on things and I could never just build on that foundation. And now I feel like I'm really getting into flow and it's awesome. So that's that. Also, I wanted you guys to know um, if you were part of the Mastering Adversity, I could do this in a separate thing, but I might as well just mention it. If you were part of the Mastering Adversity crowdfunding campaign last year and you did purchase a book, um, as of today, I've finished sending out all of the pre-orders. So you'll be getting those in the next few weeks. I think around, I don't know, I think they're coming the number November 12th to the 15th or something. I'm not sure. But I've sent them all out the last couple of days. So you should be getting those. And yeah, I just wanted to give you an update if you didn't get my email. But those of you that didn't purchase a pre-order, you can go ahead and order a copy now. It's all available. Mastering Adversity. It's been such, a, such an amazing opportunity to be able to write a book. And just the shit that has happened and I've gone through along the way to make it work, to make it, to just get this thing out into the world and to get it to everybody. It's just been, it's been so much, it's been such a challenge, but it's been so rewarding because now it's just so nice to just get this book out to people, you know, and to know that it's finally at that point where I can kind of start to sit back. But then, you know, it's also just the beginning because I know the book is going to come in waves. I know that it's going to, you know, I'm going to do different levels of promotion for it. But the first wave that has happened, it's kind of nice because it's people are going to get them. People are going to start, you know, a lot of people have shared it on social media. But as this, this bulk of like hundreds of more books go out to the people that pre-ordered them, 
it's going to be cool to kind of see them and post them on social media. So anyways, that's an update, life update, book update. And uh, yeah, really, uh, really excited to kind of think about what's to come next and to sort of just embrace all of the holiday aspects. You know, I know it's only November and I, I, I have such a night, a good plan just to, just to plug away for the next six weeks. And then, you know, once Christmas time comes, I'm going to sit back and just enjoy it because it's been a while since I've been able to celebrate the holiday season with family. So I'm excited about that. And uh, yeah, guys, that's all I got. Today's episode's awesome. We, we call it how to unlock the power within and we have an amazing guest. His name is George Bryant. He is a New York Times bestselling author, a highly sought after digital marketing expert. He has one goal, and that is to help entrepreneurs ethically scale, scale their business through his trademark through his trademark relationships beat algorithms model. He runs a podcast called The Mind of George, which takes you inside the lives of most of the most respected and successful names in the digital world to reveal what it takes to succeed in life and business today. We cover a lot of things. We cover George's story, what it was like growing up in a broken home, what drove him to start working at the age of 12. How do you know if you're destined for greatness? Different kinds of addiction, what it means to take a leap of faith, and the importance of spending time alone. What does that mean to you? Very interesting conversation. Make sure to listen to it right till the end. You guys will love it. And if you guys can, please leave us a review wherever you listen to this. It really, really helps if you're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. You can't leave a review on YouTube, but you can on Spotify and Apple. Go over to Spotify. Just hit the five stars. That's all you have to do. I haven't really sent many people there because I always send people to Apple. Super easy. And on Apple, same thing. Scroll down on the Apple thing. They'll say reviews. Hit the five star and you can just leave a quick written review. It's much appreciated and helps the show grow. And if you get value from it, it really helps us. And I love to just see these reviews come in. I'll start sharing them. I know I've been saying that for a while, but I will. Um, but yeah, that's it. Enough of enough for me. You guys, enjoy this episode. It's a good one. And I can't wait to uh, hear what you think. All right. George Bryant coming right up. Here we go. George, welcome to University of Adversity, brother. Thanks for coming on. Dude, I am, I am honored, excited. I've been excited for a podcast like this in a while. And so I'm stoked to be here, dude. Yeah, dude. I, well, thanks. I'm super pumped as well. And, you know, looking into your story and just your energy that you have in the content that you create is, is really fucking awesome. And those glasses too, bro. Those are even, that's just the ice They, ma- the they match my shoes too. Like pink is my brand color. And <laughs> it's funny. I have a color psychologist that I consult for like my companies and my stuff. And she's like, you're one of the only people I know that can pull off black, white, and pink and like own it. But she's like, you're limiting yourself with just your pink shoes. Mm-hmm. She's like, you need pink glasses and you already wear glasses. And I literally found a pair that match my shoes. They're pink oh. camo. And so I'm like, I feel fully complete and embodied now. That's epic, bro. Dude, so, all right. I was looking at different levels and layers of your story. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like, where, you know, 
And just looking at your childhood alone, I know that's that this is a great place to start because it's such informative years and it's so precious for us as young, young people in this world. And you experienced a pretty challenging one. So I would love if we could just kick it off there with young George growing up and, uh, you know, speak to us a little bit about your childhood and from what you can remember. Yeah. Oh, what I can remember. I remember all of it. We can thank mother ayahuasca for that one. And yeah, it's, it's so interesting now being 38 and being a father to a 17 year old and a five-year-old and reparenting my five-year-old through like the most formative years of my life, because I have daily reminders. And so I speak about it very happily and very gratitude based because I understand, but at the time, um, you know, it was, it was rough. My, my parents were drug addicts. My mother was like the youngest of 11 and I believe sexually abused most of her life. My father had four dads that beat him and his mother by the time he was like eight and then ended up going to Vietnam, coming home and losing his brother in a car crash the day he got back and witnessing it. And so there was like this inter turmoil. And so my parents numbed most of their life with drugs. And so I remember very, very vividly that my love was bought with toys or gifts. But that was always on the upswing after the most tumultuous events, right? I didn't have much presence. There was a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of physical abuse, a lot of moving around, a lot of instability, you know, 30, 40 people I didn't know a year in and out of my house. Now I know what it was. It was people getting drugs and, you know, doing wow. things like that. And so <clears throat> I just remember at a very early age, I never wanted to be in my house. I always wanted to be out of my house, right? Like home to me meant unsafe. Outside of my house meant safe, right? So I was constantly outside, constantly playing. And uh, it, was, it was rough. Like I, I tell people, you know, now there's things that I value in life because in 18 years of my life, I can't tell you one time I ever sat down at a dinner table and had dinner with my family, ever. Not once, wow. my whole life. And so food was on me, right? If I didn't make it, if I didn't get it, I didn't eat it. And there was a lot of embarrassment riddled into my childhood, right? Because the standard of care when somebody's on drugs is not a typical standard of care. I smell like cigarette smoke. I had dirty clothes. Like I remember this one time a skunk sprayed the house, like in the garage. And my parents sent me to school without washing my clothes or anything. And I got bullied and beat up for it. And so I spent most of my childhood trying to escape my childhood, but everywhere I went was met with more resistance. We lived in outside of West Hartford, Connecticut until fourth grade. I was the only white kid in my class for three years. So my front teeth were knocked out three times by the time I was like 10 or 11. Uh, my nose was broken three times by the time I was 14. You know, my mom would cut my hair. She'd take a bowl, put it on and around. And I was just bullied, beat up. Everybody knew about our situation. And so we moved a lot. There was a lot of instability. Like my parents never owned a home. It was always feast or famine. When things were great, it was like, here's a toy. Here's a toy. And then when things were bad, it's like, you don't deserve those. Take those away. Mom, dad fighting each other. And the physical abuse was mutual. I mean, it was, it was mutual. Like I'd watch my mom take a hot cup of coffee and throw it at my dad's face and slice his face open. And then I'd watch my dad threaten to put my mom in the chair he bought her for Mother's Day and burn her alive in it. And I'm like, yeah, like that was what I was around. 
so much. And it was, it was crazy because I, I spent a majority of my childhood living in fight or flight. And I thought that was normal. And I was basically only able to function in chaos. And I would remember I would have friends and I would like try to go to their house. And I felt so uncomfortable in their homes because it was a home. And I was like, wait, you're talking and they're loving you and you're not getting yelled at and abused. And man, how that played out in the future of my life and following that track. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was hard. It, it was hard. And then my brother was born when I was like five, five and a half. And I think right around like nine or 10, we, we came to Massachusetts, lived in like the suburbs and I felt this massive responsibility to protect him because I had a little bit more length under my belt. And so I very much became a parent very, very fast. And I would try to shield him from yelling and the abuse. And there was a lot of physical stuff. I remember I would punch holes in the wall. I would lash out. I would try to get help. And then I think it was around 12, the world started to take notice and social services got involved. And so we ended up having a caseworker. My parents started this massive tumultuous, like seven year divorce, like 141 criminal charges brought against each other. Wow. And we were in the middle of it. And so I had a caseworker, Erica. I tried to emancipate myself. I was in and out of, I think by the time I was 16, I was in the psych ward three times, self-admittedly, because it was the only place I felt safe. And I knew that it was how I could get some semblance of control. And so... I have to give full credit to my teachers and to two particular people's parents who were very affluent, but never asked a question. I'd show up at their house with Trevor, my best friend, and they'd be like, George, do you need one of Jason's shirts? Do you need dinner tonight? Do you want to sleep in the basement? And would never, and I mean, never once asked. They knew, but they never asked and they gave me a safe space. And so I'd say from about 13 on, I wasn't home. I worked three jobs because I knew that if I wanted something, I had to do it myself and I supported myself. I would sleep in friends' basements. I'd sleep in a car. I remember I lived in a camper on somebody's property for like six months and I would ride my bike home. I would ride my bike to school and I would try to be normal to fit in. I remember trying to play football and trying to do sports, but then I was getting bullied there as well. And so the only safe space that I ever found was hiding in Miss Thomas's nursing office Miss DeLuca's math room after school or Peter Boucher was my gym teacher and they never asked questions. They, they just always said yes and welcomed me with open arms. And obviously the school knew what was going on. We had two welfare checks a day by the police in a very small town and social services involved. And so at a very young age, I think I started working and getting paid for the first time when I was 12. And once I started to get a taste that if I could support myself, I could do things differently. I could, you know, get food, I could get clothes, I could have some level of control over my life. It kind of became my distraction. It was like, I would do everything. I would go to the skate rink and I would be a skate guard for four hours a day. I'd get home, I'd go do my paper route. And then I remember I lied on all my papers to get a job at Dunkin' Donuts when I was 13. I told them I was 15 years old. Nobody ever questioned me. This is like 1995 or something. And so then I would go to school and then I would go straight to work and then I would ride my bike everywhere, probably 10, 15 miles a day. And I just knew the longer I was out of my home or out of that environment, the happier I was. And so I just at a very young age took a lot of responsibility 
and figured out that I had one of two options. And I, I can say this now in hindsight, but I think viscerally, because of what I grew up in, I knew I never wanted to be in that life. Like I never went to a high school party. I never drank. I never smoked because I was surrounded by all these negative consequences of those actions. Like I remember our house almost burnt down because my parents would fall asleep smoking cigarettes and lit the couch on fire and things like that. And so I just started to understand that if I wanted something, it was up to me. And so I very much used like work and everything outside of my home to try to create something different for myself at a pretty early age. Holy shit, man. How are you alive today? Like that's a fucking miracle. Like that, this, this is what I, this is, this is like, I, (laughs) I hear stuff like this and I'm like, how's this human able to thrive with that kind of a youth childhood? Like, it's like, it's 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 just so inspiring bro because like you were thrown so much shit at you and you were yeah. able to you were able to navigate through that so well and to be able to endure such pain like it it just when i hear stories like this it just blows my mind because there's people that go through a lot less that end up going down the shit or way worse addicted to drugs, alcohol, all of the things. And yet you hear someone like yourself, you somehow got out of it. Like, yeah, I, I describe it to people. I I describe this to people all the time and it's really hard. And like, obviously I'm pretty woo woo now. Me too. I spent, I spent my life, you know, committed to to self-discovery and work and and quite frankly, breaking generational patterns of trauma. Mm -hmm. But I just, I always remember as a kid, I always remember, and I'm going to get really emotional saying this, but I always remember, I would just have this thought and I'm like, this can't be it. Mm. Like this can't be it. And I think I was blessed to have these certain angels in my life, whether they knew it or not, that showed me a different example. They didn't lay out a path for me, but I got to see things a little bit differently that created enough dissonance in me or enough of a a pattern interrupt to the challenge of the paradigm that I was living in, that there was another way. Like my grandmother was super loving, even though she had her own toxicity. I remember, and I can name these people off the top of my head. I mean, I still talk to them. Like I've gone back to my high school and seen these teachers and thanked them. They all listen to my podcast. Like I'm still in contact with these people because there were these key five to 10 people that knew they couldn't come into my life And they couldn't come into my house and they couldn't come into this situation. But I think by living their life and giving me love and acceptance, they showed me that things could be a little bit different. And I just always remember and like, and this is where I have to give my parents credit. I do also always remember that my father was not an evil man. My father was fucking hurt. Yeah. When you're on drugs and you're in trauma and you're in addiction, But some of my proudest moments are also every time my dad was like, I'm so proud of you, right? And yeah, they wouldn't come that often. But when they did, it was like rocket fuel. And it like sparked something in me that was like, I want my dad to be proud of me, but I want to do it a different way. And it was was rough, man. I mean, I started struggling with an eating disorder at 14. I was sexually abused when I was nine. And then once again, when I was 13 by women. 
And these were family friends. These were babysitters. These were people in my parents' drug community. And, you know, it took me probably 25 years to unravel it. And now at 38 years old with a wife of almost a decade and kids, I'm like finally on the up and up. But there was just always something in me that was like, there has to be a better way. Like there has to be something that I can do. And I do credit the situation that I was born into, right? I don't doubt my parents' love. I doubt my parents' demons and their ability to transcend those and utilize those. But I was given, in my opinion now, a gift mm. because my life, my kid's life, my friend's life, anybody that I can touch in the world, their life will never be like my life was. And I don't know if I would have the level of success or the level of clarity or the level of happiness that I have today if I didn't truly understand what it could be like if I took that path and went down that dark, dark hole. And, and I've dealt with addictions. I, I, you know, in my opinion, the Marine Corps and three combat deployments and the things that I went through yeah, wow. was like kindergarten compared to my childhood. But it didn't absolve me from the, the trauma, right? And so when I almost lost my legs, I became addicted to opiates. But when I became addicted to opiates, and it was bad. I mean, it was bad. It was, it was 40 hydrocodone a day, typically, at like the thrux of it. There was always this part of me that was like, you know where this goes. You know what this is doing. And there's always been this like, I'll almost call it like this internal barometer. Yeah. Where like, I know where that path ends. And I said, I never wanted to end on that path. And yes, I've made many mistakes. I've lied. I've cheated. I've been an addict. I've stolen. I've done all of it. But whenever those situations arose and I was met with the reality of the consequences of my actions and my choices, my internal barometer was like, this is what you said you didn't want. And you've seen what this leads to. Mm. And there was just always something in me that was like, this can be better and this can be different. And it, it, it's not easy. I mean, still to this day, I say it's easy now because I have this amazing perspective and I've done a whole, whole lot of work. Yeah. And I mean, you name it, I've done it from silent retreats to breath work, to plant medicine, to MDMA assisted psychotherapy, psilocybin assisted psychotherapy, psilocybin, ayahuasca, silent retreats, CBT, CBT, EMDR, like you name it. Yeah. I've done all of it. And so I have this perspective now, but I don't know. And I don't know if I'll ever know why I had that in me to be different. But I think it was a combination of seeing where my parents ended up and then seeing how abused and how bullied I was. It felt like I could never be that person. And I knew if I took certain choices or took certain actions, I would end up in that person. And the thought of hurting people like I hurt gave me more drive and motivation than ever thinking about hurting people the way that I was hurt. Did you, did you always know, have an inner knowing though, that you were destined for greatness? Like you knew, like in the moment it was challenging, but you always knew that you, there's like deep purpose within you. Did you always yeah. have that, like, you talk about the barometer. The reason I asked this is because I, I felt the same growing up. You know, I didn't go through nearly what you went through, but 
there is there's certain similarities that I can really I was like fuck I can resonate but like there's there's that internal feeling that you're like you you know that you can be something or that there's something else and it like gets you through those times when even even though you're making the wrong decision you know that you're going to be able to pull through because you have something greater and i wonder if some people just don't have that it's like that inner that innate almost like our innate wisdom or something right like mm -hmm. intuition it's like it's our higher self it's like it's like our big brother always watching us and it's like you know better you you know like speak to us about that a little bit more because i want to yeah. know how the hell that you were able to use that and even though your parent you didn't want to be like your parents it's still really hard when you're in that environment with cigarettes and drinking and all of that to not pick that up like it's, sure. to, to go the opposite is really remarkable so like yeah. and yeah I mean, and that. it was it was coke it was heroin i mean it was it was everything that you could imagine and now i can say that there was that internal know that there can be something greater but at the time my entire perspective was i don't want to go that way mm. i don't want to go that way and one of the things that i learned at a very early age was every single time something happened that literally felt like my life was over like this is it i'm all done i somehow found a way through and i don't want to say i thrived through i mean i survived through but over time, that became evidence for this resiliency and tenacity that I think one of the greatest lessons that I got is that at a very early age, I realized that if anything was to happen in this life, there was only one person responsible for making it happen. And that's the kind of blessing in disguise that mm. has helped me get to the level I'm at today, but not with ease. I mean, I'm 38 years old. I can say the, swi the switch flicked at 35 where I'm like, I get it. Oh, uh, okay. I get it, right? But I attempted my life when I was 15. Yeah. That was a very, very sobering moment. I took my seatbelt off and drove my car into a tree at full speed. Fuck and I walked that. away. Wow. And I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that as a kid, like I was happy. I was sad. I cried. Yeah. I wanted to end my life. And quite frankly, I'm glad that... I'm not a pansy anywhere in life, except for when it came to taking my own, because I was a chicken shit. And I was blessed with these experiences to learn some very hard truths about myself at a very early age. And I've developed my identity by willingly putting myself in the beginning out of necessity into situations to where I had to solve them. But then, you know, when I was looking at what I wanted to do in my life, I missed maybe a hundred plus days of school my senior year. We had lawsuits, lawyers, court systems, social services, and I was working three jobs. Work was not an option that I could give up. It was how I was surviving. And yeah. like I said, I was blessed because you go look at my GPA. My GPA didn't say George missed a hundred days of school. My GPA said George's teachers know that if he doesn't get the fuck out of here, he's got no chance, none. And so... I was in the thrux. I was like 15, 16. I was fat. I was overweight. I was bullied. I was bulimic. 
because I started struggling with bulimia after the sexual abuse as a form of control. I would try to control my environment because that was something I had control over. So in the outside world, got crazy when I was getting abused or things were happening, I would go emotionally and I would binge eat. But the moment I did, I would start purging and I felt this semblance of control over myself, as unhealthy as that sounds, but it was something in my world that I owned. And so I'll, I'll never forget, like, everyone's like, why'd you join the military? Was your dad a Marine? I'm like, no. I was like, I saw these guys come to my school and stand there with confidence and be proud of who they were. And I was like, what's the hardest thing I can do? And I remember I drove to the recruiter's office in Brockton. Sergeant Martinez was his name. And I was like, I want to join the Marine Corps. And they laughed at me because I was so fat. And they're like, you can't. You're like a David, fat David Goggins, mom. same sort of thing, David Goggins. And it was just like the rest of my childhood, right? Everybody was telling me, you can't. Your parents are drug addicts. You can't do this. Bullied on the football field, bullied on the track field. Like no matter what I tried, I was getting bullied. And I was an easy fucking target, right? Like yeah. look at the evidence behind me. Like it was an easy target for me. And there was something in me that truly thrived on people telling me I couldn't do it. And it was enough of an external motivation. And it wasn't from a good place, but it was enough for me to borrow that external motivation to actually take actions in a different direction. And I remember I left that office and four months later, I showed back up and they didn't know who I was. And I had lost the weight and I forged my parents' signature and I joined the Marine Corps. Scared the absolute fucking dog shit out of me. I was thinking about this on the drive in today. And I was like, how the fuck did I make it in the Marine Corps? Like, how? Yeah. Like, dude, I was that's... thinking about boot camp. I was thinking about maps. And not only did I make it, but July 29th of 2002, which is tomorrow, is 20 years to the day I went to boot camp. And not only did I go to boot camp, I graduated first out of 1,600 people. Get out of here. And then I went to Marine combat training and I graduated first out of 600 people. Holy shit, bro. And then I went to my job school and I graduated first out of my entire class, which let me pick my duty station. And so when we talk about this internal barometer, I didn't think until I was 35 years old that I had this destinedness for greatness or that I had this thing in me that wanted to go, I had built my life around proving the story wrong out of a place of toxic energy to create something different. And that's what fueled me. That's what fueled me everywhere. Somebody would tell me I couldn't do it. I'm like, great, thank you. Like somebody would say, you're not good enough. I'm like, great, thank you. And the accolades that I accomplished were never from a place of self-love. They were from a deep, deep fucking wound. But I also can't discredit the work that went into them and the resiliency and the tenacity and the ability to figure it out. But these patterns followed me to the thrux of everything, my relationships, my parenting, my businesses, and I lost it all because everything was toxic. I was like, I'll work 22 hours a day. I'm like, you can't break me. I made it through that. You can't touch me. I will be the best at everything. But it was my new addiction of disconnection. Because I never had to feel, I never had to know myself, I never had to be proud of myself, I never, have, have, never had to have self-love. My entire identity was wrapped in external circumstances. 
getting approval from others. And so that was it because I wanted approval from my parents. Yeah. And so I was like, great, you're not going to give it to me. I'm going to make it so you can only give it to me. And I'm going to make sure that everybody else in the world approves of me. Yeah. And so now it's easy to say that I felt this thing, but I feel like what it really was is I had a deep fear of death and watching my parents live was the worst form of death that I've ever experienced. Like, I remember when my dad died, I was at his side and he got a terminal diagnosis of cancer. And I, the Marine Corps put me on a humanitarian transfer and I took care of him for six months. And you wanna talk about like full circle. From son to parent, 25 years later, but I will never forget the relief that my dad felt when he found out he was going to die. I have never seen anybody more happy, stress-free, and relieved. Like, he's like, I'm finally done fighting. The demons are gone. This isn't going to continue. And that took four or five years for me to fully even grasp the gravitude how somebody was so happy to find out that it was over and it all collapsed down and realized that like he was just slowly eroding and there was nothing that he wanted. And it's not my job to change him. I tried, I tried everything, right? Like I, you can't put a spark in somebody, but when I had that perspective, I was like, I can't die. Like this is death. Those behaviors are death. Addictions are death. Like disconnection is death. Hurting people is death. Hurting myself is doubt, self-harm, you know, lack of self-worth, carrying all this guilt and shame. I was basically lying to myself for years that the results I was creating in the world were somehow keeping me alive, but really they were just driving me down this road of death because I was missing every fucking moment. I was missing everything that I said I wanted. I was doing the same exact behaviors with a different wrapping paper. They were addicted to heroin. I was addicted to accolades. They were addicted to Coke. I was addicted to working out. They were addicted to blank. I was addicted to success. And I had to have this really deep come to Jesus moment where I had to fully accept that I had picked up the patterns and I'd picked up the behaviors. But in the world that we live in, I was rewarded for my addiction when they were demoted for theirs. How often can you recognize that pattern in our society today with a lot of the entrepreneurs and the business owners and the fucking, you know, you know, work till you die and all this stuff? Like how now that you've been able to recognize that within yourself, like how often do you see that in our current landscape? It's 99% of my day in what I coach in the companies I build and the impact I make in the content and even holding myself accountable to it. You know, like I know, here's the hardest part about living the life that I've lived and experiencing what I've experienced. There's maybe three people on the planet that can actually recognize I'm in my shit when I'm in my shit because my life was built on survival, manipulation, and getting my way. That's how I survived as a child. I had to know people, read people, and manipulate people, not in a bad way, but in a way that it was the only way to guarantee my safety, like base Maslow hierarchy of needs. And so now in the day that I live in now, the amount of external accountability that I have around me is the only reason 
that I can stay as happy and grounded and supportive as I am to the point where I built an entire business to hold me accountable. Like my trademark slogan is relationship speed algorithms. And everyone's like, love where that. do you get your business love that, ideas? Man. Love that. Where do you get your business ideas? I was like, I get my business ideas from the things that I need to hold myself accountable to my potential and not give myself a backdoor into death, whether it's slow or whether it's fast. Mm. And so it's just this dance. And that's what I love about it. It's this dance that I get to take every single day. And like, I have this theory that when I put my head on the pillow at night, that everything that I had that day is gone. And when I wake up in the morning, I have to earn my wife. I have to earn my kids. I have to earn my business. I have to earn my friends and I have to earn myself. And I've had to build a world of external support that is designed at my potential, not at my current state. Because I will tell you, I'm the first one where those demons take the wheel. I'll numb out on YouTube for seven hours. When I'm in a hotel room on the road, I'll tell everybody I'm working. And yet I'm sitting there like loathing in self-pity. And then now I've done this long enough and I flex the muscle that once I have an awareness of it, I can't do it anymore because I have this massive integrous perspective. But I don't sit here like, oh, I have it all figured out. But I sit here with, I'm willing to dive into it to figure out where it's coming from and take actions to mitigate it or change that story. And I love that part of me that's like, nope, I can be better. Like um, a week ago, I was like getting ready to get on an airplane and my wife's like, we need to talk. And I was like, okay, baby. She's like, you are so fucking disconnected. It hurts. I feel unsafe. I feel like you're checking boxes. And I was like, I have one of two choices in this moment. I can make that right and react and start laying out, well, I do this and I do that and you're wrong, you're boom and gaslight and project. And I was like, or I can take the hard path and be like, you're totally right. Can we talk about it? Right? And like, those are the things that I feel like every human being is faced with every single day. And I no longer make myself bad and wrong. I no longer collect evidence that like I'm this monster or I'm just like my parents. I collect the information of like, wow, these are the things that I need. And I get to here to get better, to improve, to adjust. And every day is a new day. And so it's, it's something that I just want everybody to be clear on. Like, I don't sit here like I'm on a soapbox and I have it all figured out. I have the life of my fucking dreams. I have the family of my dreams. But the demons didn't go away. They're just no longer demons. They have a cup of coffee in my living room. And I'm like, sit down and shut the fuck up. I'll talk to you later. Right? Like, they're a part of me. Yeah. And they're a part of me that I accept wholeheartedly and that I love because those shadows kept me alive. Those shadows got me to here. Those shadows brought my children into this world and allowed me to create a different life. And they are just as much a part of me as the loving, empathetic, compassionate, I will do anything for everybody guy. But if I don't dance with them, if I don't have a relationship with them, then I'm no different than the things that I've been trying to run away from my entire life. Dude, so funny because, well, it's not funny. It's mind-blowing that 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 you said about the loving, the demons, like your dark side in the dance, because that's the exact message I got on my night two of ayahuasca was like, and I've told the story, it's, it's like in order to fully love yourself, self-love is accepting all of you, 
all of that, all of the stuff that you aren't proud of, all of the, the decisions, the poor decisions you think you made, you have to love that. You have to have dinner with them. They have to have the seat at the table. We can't keep pushing that stuff away. And it's funny because going into that ceremony, the maestro's like, you need self-love because I the night he was I was like there's like a block and I was like self-love oh this is gonna be an easy night this is gonna be self-love and I was like fuck it was not easy I had to sit in the shit I had to sit in the darkness and I had to love every bit of it and then I got it I was like oh I get it I get it and then as soon as the sun came out I was like so grateful to see the light because all I could do is sit in the dark and feel all of that couldn't run away couldn't couldn't mask the pain, couldn't do anything but sit in it. And then I got the message. That's why when you said that, I was like, oh man, that's exactly. Yeah. The- and like, yeah, it's, it's such a profound concept because like, I also recognize why I wouldn't sit in it. Yeah. And why I wouldn't sit in it is because I was trying to create this illusion of safety. Like somehow I have control over yeah. the things that happen outside of me because as a child, I felt out of control. I felt like I was in this environment that I didn't choose and I became addicted to chaos. And so when I wouldn't sit with those shadows or sit with those choices, what I would do is things would be smooth and I would break them because I was more confident and comfortable when things were broken because there was always something to do or fix than I was when things were easy because I never knew how to have a relationship with myself. And so that was the pattern that repeated over and over. And literally my best friend, Stefano Stefandos, you probably know Steph. Oh, he's, he's been on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Steph's my man husband, right? Like yeah, he's, he's my, amazing. He's my, my sole husband. And I'll never forget like four years ago, I called him because I was in a massive breakdown. Like I just lost like 500 grand a month in recurring revenue. I lost two companies at the beginning of COVID. Like everything collapsed in like one hour in the midst of this. And I was like, Everything on paper was great, right? Making millions of dollars, doing blank, bought new houses, bought new cars. And then the world was like, gone. Mm. And, I'm, and I love him. And I fucking love him to pieces for this. And, and he uses the word, see you next Tuesday, you know, like it's an adjective for like, good morning. And I called him in complete breakdown. And I love him for this. And he's like, sit with it until you don't feel like calling me anymore. And he hung up on me. And he hung up on me. And for the next couple of weeks, I would reach out. He's like, sit with it longer, sit with it longer. And I get it now. I didn't get it at the time. And I'm post plant medicine. I'm post blank. I'm this enlightened personal development guru. I'm uh, uh. yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what I've been doing. I've been using all the work as a new manipulation tactic to avoid doing the work because I can talk about it. Right. I can teach it. I can preach it. But when you're not looking, I'm not doing it. I'm using that so you don't look. And I'll right. never forget that. And one of the most profound moments of my life personally is I wanted to control everything. Everything was broken. Everything was broken. And I was like, oh, this is easy. I know how to make money. I know how to launch another business. I know how to fix this. But something felt off. And I was like, I can't do this again. We moved the family up to the mountains in our house in Mammoth. And as crazy as this sounds, I made a rule with myself and I said, I'm going to hike every day until I find clarity. Every day until I find clarity. It took 61 days. Some days were eight hours. Some days were two hours. Some days were nine hours. And I would come home and I still didn't have it. And I still didn't have it. And the world around me was collapsing. Mm 
And I mean fucking collapsing. And it was on like day 61. I was like, I need to launch that podcast that I wanted to do eight years ago. (laughs) And my logical brain is like, you just lost a half a million dollars a month. And you want to do the one thing that's guaranteed to not make you money. And I sat with it and I sat with it. And I was like, but this feels so good and so right to me. And I'll never forget that moment. And I came home and I launched the show. And that was 300 episodes ago. And my life now, I could have never mapped out on paper what it would look like or where I would be. But if it wasn't for me willing to sit and to really sit with myself, not with the coaches, not with the gurus, not with all my friends, I can call anybody you know, and they will give me money. They will give me advice. These are all my friends. But it was the first time that I truly was like, if it's up to me, it's really genuinely up to me. And it collapsed like 34 years of lessons and my childhood and my tenacity and my resiliency and my self-trust and my self-love. And I realized I didn't need to launch a podcast for anybody else. I needed to talk. Yeah. And I needed to share. Amen. And there were a lot of parts of me that I would share, but I would share as a wrapping paper to keep you away from the real me. Because the wrapping paper, George, was still quite different and quite vulnerable and quite tenacious and had this story. But that wasn't who I was. Those are just circumstances I went through, but I was still wrapping my identity in my story. Like if you go back and listen to podcasts for me, 2010, 2011, because I've been on like 4,000 plus shows, you go listen to the first five minutes of every single podcast and it is the same five minute story over and over and over and over again. And I realized that my new addiction was wrapping my identity and what I'd experienced in my past to avoid living today. Mm. And it wasn't until Steph challenged me to just sit and sit and sit and sit that I was willing to take a look at like who I really am. Like I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a successful business owner. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And today I'm a really good fucking human being. I filled people's buckets this morning. I filled my own bucket. I had a lot of gratitude for myself today and I'm batting a thousand today. And that's who I am in this moment. And it was that moment that allowed me to realize that my identity is not in the results that I create and it's not in the life that I've lived before today. It's in who I choose to be today. And I will never have control of the world, of the results, or of the outcomes, but I 100% have full control over every input I give into that to create that result. Mm. I love what you said about how each day is its own thing. Like you got to earn, you got to, you know, with your wife or your kids, it's, it's like you don't, you, you, you can't win a championship from yesterday. You can't win something from yesterday's work. Like you, you know, each day, if you have that mindset where how can I be the best human to this human that I love every day? Like that is, dude, that's the, that's the thing right there. It's like we rely on what we did yesterday or last week to get us through now, but it's like, no, it's a fresh start. And if we all were to look at every day as a clean slate, yesterday doesn't matter. Today matters. Fresh mm-hmm. canvas. Like, how can I show up today? And how many people 
get caught up in, well, I did that for her last week or did that for my kids. Like, so then what does that matter? That's, that's over. But yep. how much, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Oh, I, I did this hard workout last week. I mean, what, you know, it's like this story. Why do I have to do it today? It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like starting every day fresh with that perspective is like, it's a game changer, man. Yeah. And the thing is, is that like, the worst person I do it to is myself. Right. Yeah. And, and like, people are going to get like some insight into my brain. Everyone's like, George, your taglines, relationships, beat algorithms. I'm like, yeah, one of the famous things I say is that nobody has a marketing problem. Everybody has a relationship problem. I love that. With themselves, their team and their customers informed in that order. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, the number one relationship that's created all my success in this world is me. And it's yeah. the one that every single entrepreneur that I know neglects first, sacrifices first, downgrades first, collects evidence against first, carries guilt, fault, blame, and shame first. And if I could take it, and somebody asked me this the other day, they're like, okay, so you've spent millions of dollars on therapy and modalities and everything you can imagine. If you could summarize what the most powerful thing is out of all of those things that you've ever done, what would it be? And I was like, well, it would be that I never needed to spend that money or do that work. I needed to spend more time alone. Oh, That's man. it. Because it's the one relationship that is constantly, actively neglected. Yeah. But yet it's the one that holds the key to everything. How I respond, how I feel, my ability to have awareness, know what my check engine light means. And I tell everybody, I wanted all the simple solutions. I wanted the 10-step program. I wanted the... Boom, boom, boom. Like we study the greats and we're like, look, they all have morning routines. I was like, look deeper. There's a direct correlation between the amount of success that somebody has and the amount of time they spend alone yeah. every single time. And it's not alone with distraction. It's not alone in books. It's not alone in anything. Like there's a reason that Japanese culture is built around shiranyokus, which are nature baths, because they've studied this scientifically and it allows people to get out into the world by themselves with themselves. Like I know no matter which way I slice it, the moment I leave this office, there's going to be a million demands on my attention that advocate me of having the most important relationship that I'm guaranteed to spend the rest of my life with myself. Why do you the think, go ahead. No, yeah, no, sorry. Finish what you're going to say there. I was going to say, and it's typically myself included the first one that goes out the window. Yeah. Right. And then I get wrapped up and pulled into story of like, oh, my wife had a bad day or this happened or my son had a bad day at school or we just lost that million dollar deal or that company isn't scaling. And the moment I wrap my identity in those external circumstances, I am once again advocating the relationship with myself and I'm becoming a reaction in the same pool rather than, okay, got it. My check engine light's really fucking on right now. But if I just go act, if I go react, I'm going to create more of an undesirable result based on a temporary emotional feeling than if I hold and I explore. Mm. And I'm like, wow, what is this? And like, that means there's days where I'll come clear my calendar because I feel off. Yeah. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to walk outside for four hours. And typically 10 minutes in, I shed some tears. I'm like, oh, I got it. And I'm like, nope, finish the walk. Right. And then I get to come home understanding that I really can truly only control myself and in controlling myself, 
that also has an understanding that I don't get to react to everything. I get to choose how I respond. There's things I respond to. There's things that I don't. But the most important thing, like I have sacred boundaries around alone time. Like I have boredom practices built into my day. Like I used to work from like 6 a.m. to like 8 p.m. Now I work from fucking 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the first four hours of my day are me, then me with my family, and then me again. No YouTube videos, no nothing. Like I'll stare at a fucking wall for an hour and I will find so much gratitude and love and awareness by staring at that wall. But I remember a point in my life where if I didn't have a phone in my hand or, a, or something, a TV show or something, I couldn't actually fucking exist with myself. And whether I acknowledged it or not, I had an aversion to being myself. I was always looking for something that would allow me to distract from myself, whether it was Netflix or YouTube or a book or an audio or a podcast or something. We live in a culture where attention is the number one traded commodity, but we don't realize what it costs us. And then you get people that literally get wrapped up into this culture. And then what's really happening at the deepest fucking root is they don't know how to be home. Yeah. Yeah, what is that? Why is it that people are just afraid of their own their own shit that they've gone through? Like why don't we why don't people value that alone time more? Like is it because they don't want to look at it or they don't maybe they don't even know that they have to look at it. Yeah, I, right? you know what's crazy is like I can only speak for myself, but I always craved it. So instead, I yeah. would create external circumstances that would force it. Okay. Traumatic events, bad business decisions, boom, to where it's like everything's broken, but it was so broken, nothing I did in that moment would allow me to fix it. It would just force this container of like, I have to fully feel this. And I would have breakdowns. I would cry. I would not want to get out of bed. But at like the deep, deep, deep root of it, what was I was craving was alone time. But I was so afraid of it. And yeah, I'm... Still to this day, I'm great now, but there's plenty of times where I'm like, oh, there I am again, looking for YouTube videos to watch. And I'm like, yeah. ah, hold on. Nothing wrong with watching a YouTube video. Nothing wrong with listening to a book. Nothing wrong with consuming content, but it's the come from that matters. Right. If I think I'm going to get something in that book or in that podcast or in that video that I can't give myself, I'm in for a rude fucking awakening. Yeah. And you watch people go through this. You typically it takes near death experiences, which I've had fucking plenty of them, right? And even those weren't enough. It takes loss. It takes a partner leaving. It takes a business deal going south. And then we get forced into this, hey guys, I need to reset. And it becomes this reactive based decision rather than proactively plugging in every single day. Like if your check engine light in your car comes on and you ignore it, your car's going to break the fuck down and you're going to have to replace it. We would never. Your engine's like, hey, pull over. It's going to seize. You're not going to keep driving. But yet every day, we are demanded this attention where our check engine light comes on and we keep going outside to try to find a reason to either not look at it or thinking that something out there is going to fix it. But it's the only thing that we have is us. Hmm. And so for me, yeah, petrified. Petrified of my thoughts. Petrified of my darkness. Petrified of my demons because I was looking at it as evidence that I was once again not enough rather than these are parts of me. And the more I acknowledge them and the more I'm aware of them, the less likely I am to repeat the behavior, which is actually the path to create something different. 
Mm. And that's that's it. Like that's the end of the game for me. And it's it's crazy, but it, it took a lot of pain. And it like everyone's like George. Like I'll give you a tangible example. Like I have a private client does like four million dollars a year, and they're like, "You doubled her business in six months. What'd you do?" I was like, "I made her spend more time alone." And they're like, and "I'm like, no, no. I prescribed a one hour a day boredom practice." Like, what does that look like? Can we break that down for people that yeah. are like, okay, spending time alone is easy if you you know have the tools or the understanding. But let's say some of the, someone listening out there that's like shit, I distract myself all the time. I don't know how to be alone. What are some maybe like three things for somebody yeah. that they could do like literally today that yeah, they could- right now. Yeah, right now. Right now. So the way that I look at it is we understand as human beings, we're only born with two fears, right? The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Everything else is a trained behavior, right? So everything else is a muscle. But if you don't use muscles, what happens? They atrophy. Compassion is not something you're born with. It's something you learn. And if you're not a compassionate human being, how do you get better? You flex that muscle. Hmm. You have a gratitude practice. You show compassion. Well, the same thing applies to us. Finding pockets of our day to where we're like, wow, I feel like opening my phone. I feel like going to YouTube. I'm going to have to earn that right. Five minutes a day, multiple times a day. When you wake up in the morning, don't wake up as a slave to the world. Wake up as the master of your world. You have kids, get up 10 minutes earlier. Don't turn on your phone. Go sit in a chair and just be. 10 minutes. No journal, no writing, no nothing. You don't have to remember anything. You don't have to write anything down. You get to just exist. It's a muscle. It's a muscle, but we don't use it. And we wonder why it's so hard to try to utilize because we're waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect meditation or the perfect external circumstance to call us into it rather than being like, wow, if I walk for five minutes a day, I'm going to be way further along a year from now than if I wait six months to go for my first 30 minute walk. But it's a muscle. And so I tell everybody that you have to practice being with yourself. And so it's that I wake up in the morning before my kids, before my wife, I don't turn on my phone. I don't look at notifications, but I spend five to 10 minutes in solitude every single morning. And then I get my kids up. I get them to school. I drop my kids off at school. Family's important to me. So I take my son to school every morning. I make his lunch. I make him breakfast, right? Like I don't start my day till 10. But when I drop them off at school, do you think I put a radio on or a podcast on or a video on in the car? No. I drive in silence. Just me, myself, my thoughts on the road. I get to see elk and bald eagles and bears because you know, I live in heaven. But think about how much we are giving all of ourselves to the external world. And it's just a muscle. So it's not even three things. It's one thing. One thing. Before you do anything for the day and before you go to bed, spend five to 10 minutes alone. Do you do it any in the, do you do it in the dark or do you just do it? No, just no, I love my face. So I call it a boredom practice because I love sitting on the chair in my deck and watching. There's a bird. There's a flower. There's a car. There's a bald eagle. There's mm -hmm. the wind. There's the rain. And I just never allow myself to ruminate on a thought. I'm like, oh, there it goes. Up oh, there it goes. Up oh, there it goes. Up oh, there it goes. It's beautiful. And it's so crazy to me because I was this guy that unless this thing that's technically a tool for me 
was mastering me was in my hand, I didn't have an identity. Somewhere to hide my feelings, somewhere to get external validation, somewhere to distract myself. And I'll never forget. So there's a book I recommend everybody read. It's by Michael Easter. It's called The Comfort Crisis. Fucking incredible book. I've listened to it five times in the last year. We'll put it and in the I know the, I know the book inside and out. And every time I listen to it, it's like a reminder and a stark reminder of like some of the things that I'm saying. But I'll never forget this. I, I had, I've been doing this practice for about five, 10 minutes a day, but I would never push past it because past that was discomfort, right? I was like, no, no, I'm doing 10 minutes. I'm doing whatever. Mm. And one night I was distracting myself. My wife and kids were out of town and I was sitting on the couch and I was going through Apple TV and I popped across this documentary called Chasing the Present. And it's this vegan restaurateur in New York City who made this documentary, Chasing Presence in Hell. And I'd watched, I remember the day, I watched my octopus teacher first. And then I found that. And I'll never forget this. I was sitting on my couch and I'm watching the movie. And he's talking to a monk, I believe in India or somewhere else. And the monk said one statement, like one tweetable, of course, because they're fucking wise as shit. And this one sentence, man, I hit pause. And when I hit pause, I just stared at the ceiling and I had this overwhelming amount of gratitude and love for the moment. I stared at the ceiling for five and a half hours and I didn't move. And it felt like I was riding the highest of highs of dopamine, serotonin, and love. And it kind of changed everything for me. There was this one statement he said that it collapsed all of this down. And that's why I'm so bullish on having this time and prioritizing this time. Because at the end of the day, the most powerful tool we have in our toolbox is us. But yet it's the one tool that we never explore. We don't sharpen. We don't pick it up. And we think that if we go add other tools to our toolbox, it's somehow magically going to make this hammer work better. But the only way this hammer works better is if you actually pick it up and use it. And so, you know, Thich Nhat Hun, an incredible teacher, he teaches walking meditations, right? So like when I go on hikes, I go in silence and like, I don't know how long I go, but I'm like feeling every step and I'm like, wow. And then I'll find 30 seconds later, I'm thinking about business and I'm like, nope, feet, ground, think, be present, right? And it's a muscle and yeah. it's a deep, deep muscle and it's one that has to be used, but the simplest thing to do is to prioritize the relationship with you over everything else. Hmm. It is the greatest superpower that you have. And when you don't, the world becomes your kryptonite because it's pulling you out of you. It's pulling you into their stories, into their paradigms, into that social media platform, into that drama, into that gossip. And then we're getting our identity from that place and living with this low level anxiety rather than realizing that isn't us. But if we don't flex the muscle, we're never going to be able to thrive in that situation. And even my wife, like, I fuck, my wife is a goddess. She's the reason I'm alive. Like, no, no doubt about it. But remember, she came home last week and she walks in the door and I'm just sitting at the couch on the couch, staring at the wall. And she walks in and the first thing she says is like, babe, are you OK? I'm like, I'm fucking wonderful. She's like, oh, of course you are. Right. But we live in a society where that's abnormal. Yeah. Right. Like I was just in Austin and I was like, I'm taking myself on a date. I left my phone in the car. I went to dinner. I feel like every single person in that restaurant looked at me because I'm this dude sitting at a table alone 
with no phone, just looking around. Yeah. And I don't know what they were thinking. That's not up to me, but that's not considered normal. I know it's wild. But yet when things break, when things aren't working, we want to have the confidence in ourselves to be able to respond accordingly and to create a different result. But yet we neglect the one tool that would make that possible. And so it's not three things, it's one. It's prioritizing the relationship with yourself. You can do breath work, you can do meditation, great. See if you can sit still for 15 minutes with no notepad, no music, no distractions, and just be. And then see if you can push it to 30. See if you can push it to 45. Like I joke about this, like in my old mastermind, someone's like, I was like, do you wanna know how you get a ton of millionaires to run like cockroaches? And they're like, how? I'm like, tell 50 of them that they have to sit still for an hour. And I mean, every ounce of childhood trauma comes up. But what about this? And how am I going to get this? And, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, I don't know. Just sit and see what happens. <laughs> right. And we have this basically affinity to avoid it because of whatever reason. And it's different for everybody. Mm. But like, I think about massages, right? I've yet to meet a person when I bring this up that they're like, oh my God, you're so right. I'm like, you get in that massage chair or on the table and your head is racing, right? You're getting a massage, you're getting whatever, your head's right. What about this? What about this? You're thinking about everything. I was like, but have you ever noticed at the end when you're all done, you don't want to get up off the table and you don't have a thought in your fucking mind and you feel incredible? Yeah. It's because you sat still long enough to purge all the noise and then just exist. Same thing with float tanks. Same uh -huh. thing with cold therapy. Same thing with breath work. When was the last time somebody got out of breath work and they're like, oh, I'm never doing that again, no matter how hard, <laughs> no matter what came up, right? Yeah. We're off-gassing in those moments, right? But once you've off-gassed, you have to allow yourself to exist in that moment. And so I have a pretty clear head. My life is not necessarily easy. I got businesses tanking. I got businesses growing. I'm spending a million dollars a month here. We have horse drama. We have lived in eight houses in the last two years trying to find our place. I got school stuff. My daughter's 17. Her boyfriend just broke up. The, the world is still going to exist. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I have to exist in that world. I get to exist in my world and bring it to me. Right. And I can choose how to respond. But it's a muscle. And it's five fucking minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, multiple times a day, right? So this is what I teach. I'll just tell everybody what I teach some of my students. I teach them to have an SOS method, right? So everything I do is a lighthouse, right? My entire business, everything I teach is a lighthouse. And the reason why is because I was on a retreat in Costa Rica with a very wise shaman and I was doing the plant medicine and doing all of it, but I was literally like in fight or flight. And I was asking questions. And of course, they don't give you answers, right? They ask you better questions that make you just reflect and break your entire paradigm. And one time he looked me dead in the eye and said, because you don't have a purpose. And I was like, oh, shit. My purpose was wrapped in what I got done, how I showed up, how many results I had. And so he said, go sit with that till you find an answer. Took me four days with a pen and a piece of paper before anything came out. And in sitting and sitting and sitting, I ended up writing to stand with structure in the face of resistance to create possibility. That's all that came out of me. Hmm. And I was like, that's my purpose. I haven't lived the life that I've lived. I haven't experienced what I've experienced to die. I said, I don't want to do that. 
So I've lived it to live. And it's to stand with structure in the face of resistance to create possibility. I ran with that, wrote it down in my notebook, had it every day for three years. And my brother looked me dead in the eye and he's like, you know, that's what a lighthouse does, right? And I was like, oh shit, rebranded my entire company. I have an eight foot lighthouse in my office behind me that actually works. They're on my wall, they're on my stickers. I surround myself with it as a reminder. And so I wrote that down And I was like, it's a reminder every time I see it. Like a lighthouse doesn't give a fuck what's happening in the water. It doesn't care about the storms. Like it's built to withstand time. The oldest running lighthouse has been in operation for 1,100 years. And it's only been turned off twice to go from whale blubber to kerosene and kerosene to electricity. And it exists. It doesn't jump in the water. It doesn't get out of the light to go save people because if you do, they turn the light off and the whole existence is gone. And so I was like, my job is to fully own myself. And I'm maybe 3% of the way there. I'd give myself three out of 100 right now. And I'm fucking proud of three because I used to be at like 0.01, right? And so I was like, okay, cool. So any moment I'm not in myself, I'm not present. I'm not aware of my feelings. I'm not aware of my proclivities of my wanting to run or the fact that I don't like the feedback my wife gave me or the business gave me. I need to have a set of tools that bring me back home. And home being in myself. And so I created the SOS procedure, right? So I have a, a an, I have an inner toolbox. I have an inner circle and an outer circle. So in the inner toolbox, it's anything that I can do in a moment's notice that I fully control. Listening to music, going for a walk, breath work, stillness, meditation, working out, dancing, yelling, screaming, like anything that resets my barometer. And there's times that those don't work. There's times that I'm so on tilt or so emotional or so reactive that they don't get me unstuck. So then I have an inner circle. And on my iPhone, the top nine people are my inner circle in order. My wife, Stephanos, my business partners. And I know that if something's coming up, if I feel reactive, if I feel emotional, if I feel on tilt and my inner toolbox isn't working, I either send a text, pick up the phone or send an audio message to my inner circle. And I don't ask for feedback. I'm like, hey, can you listen to me for a minute? I need to get this out. And typically in that moment's notice, everything's mitigated, but there's those few circumstances to where they can't even help me. And that's what the outer toolbox is for. And I'll give you a tangible example. One of my companies, we do pretty well, tactical diaper bags for dads called High Speed Daddy. But we got hit with a trademark copyright lawsuit and it was a big one. And... I was like, oh, here comes every ounce of fucking scarcity of my childhood, of my wounds, of everything. Breath didn't work. The gym didn't work. The hike didn't work. No one in my inner circle worked. So I called an attorney. Within a matter of 30 seconds, every feeling was gone. He's like, George, there's no merit. I'll handle it. I already saw it. I'm drafting a letter. And it was gone. But if I didn't use that, I would have been running on reactive tilt for three or four days, self-sabotaging behaviors creating unidealistic results based on temporary emotions. And so I build this container that always brings me back home. And so if I'm feeling off, if I feel stressed, if I feel like I want to distract, if I feel like I want to get some dopamine off social or on Netflix or whatever, I first check in and I'm like, where's this coming from? And I'll go right to my inner tools and I'll sit still. And I'll be like, oh, I fucking crushed today. I have a whole lot of gratitude. 
things are good. Things are good. Oh, I just want to watch a movie with my wife. Great. Let's watch the fucking movie. Right. But if that doesn't work, I go to my inner circle. If that doesn't work, I go to my outer circle. Because in my opinion, anytime I'm being reactive, I've turned my light off. Mm. And if I've turned my light off, I'm not being who I want to be and getting to where I want to go. And so I design containers, behaviors, rituals to bring me back home to myself. Mm. I love that because it's <laughs> it's really just coming back to yourself. The simplest thing and just... So many people want this like extravagant external solution, but it's like, it's always the simplest, simplest answers. Get in stillness in the quiet, figure out a way to bring yourself back. Yeah, man. That's where the answers come. It's refreshing. It's grounding. But like, here's the thing. I did this for years unintentionally. I'd be like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to respond to that Slack message. I don't want to go on social media. But the problem was, is that I avoided it. But then when I came back alone, I just choose a different distraction modality. Yeah. But we crave it. We call it. We're like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to go out to dinner. I don't. No, no, I'm not going to do it today. Oh, I'm done with work for the day. It's not in those situations. It's what we do when it happens. We have this inkling and this craving to be and to exist. Except when we hear the call, we have to be willing to actually be. Mm. And it is the simplest of answers. Like, that's why I love hiking. Because it's like when you go out on a Masogi, right, or a long hike, it's like, cool, I'll go out and I'll be like, I know myself enough that if I go for like a three mile hike, I'm just going to be in my head and going. I'm like, no, no, I'm doing eight. And typically by like mile four, when I hit the halfway point, I'm like, I just want to be home. I don't want to finish this. Well, sucks for me. I'm four miles away from my car. And those four miles are the most transformative miles of my life every single time I do it. Because there's no avoiding the work. There's no avoiding the presence. There's no avoiding the thoughts. There's this active surrender that says, I just get to be. And then I get the most clarity over and over and over again. And it is that simple. And it's the simplest things aren't necessarily easy. They're simple. They're simple. But when you execute them daily, when you flex that muscle daily, it gets really, really, really easy. Hmm. Well said, man. I'm curious. I kind of want to ask you one more question before mm-hmm. we look at wrapping this up. And that is, what is your relationship with psychedelics and plant medicine now that you know what you know and all of that you've done? How do you see it now as being beneficial for yourself or people? Do you use it? Speak to us yeah. about that a little bit. Great question. So, I used to have a very unhealthy relationship with psychedelics because I would put off the work until said experience. And I realized that that was my new form of distraction, right? And the way that I see psychedelics and plant medicines, I see them as tools. I see them as tools. And I feel like there has to be intentionality behind them. And there has to be an understanding as to why you're using it. But I was using them in the very beginning as escapism right? I felt better. I'm like, oh, I felt blank. I felt blank. But then I realized that what they were really doing was bringing me home. They weren't giving me anything. They were stripping all the bullshit that I wasn't willing to strip myself. And yes, there was a fast forward button, massive amount of empathy, a massive amount of self-love. But to think that I could only exist if I was on a MDMA or on a psilocybin or on an ayahuasca defeats the entire essence of the medicine. You never take medicine 
every single day to treat a symptom. You take medicine to get to the root cause and to fix it. Yeah. What ended up happening is, as I got the info, I got the, I got the view, I got the info, and then I would go back and I would get punished. It's like, you already know the answer. You haven't done the work. Your answer's not here. And I had some very, very hard nights. And so I sit with mother ayahuasca typically once every year to 18 months. And the more I do it, the less and less frequent it becomes. And when it does come, it's because I feel this innate calling and something's been truly integrated in me. And I have this healthy level of fear. And I'm like, oh, now it's the time. I'm petrified. Great. This is a great place to be. But I feel like it's really easy to get wrapped up into, oh, I'm going to go do this. I mean, even marijuana, it's one of the most powerful plants on the world. But people use it to disconnect or to numb. But we have to ask what feeling it's giving us. Yeah. And what it's really giving us is presence, right? It's really giving us that moment of coming home. And I think they're incredible tools. I'm a massive supporter of MAPS and veterans and PTSD and all of that stuff. I mean, it saved my life. But I also now have a very real understanding that it wasn't the plant itself. It was the integration after. Yeah. And then it was a fast forward button. And, you know, I, I love that escalation and I think it's there, but I think it really, really matters why. And what I've learned in my own experience is that anytime I've used the plants to try to avoid something, I would have much rather preferred to address it without the plants than do it with the plants. Yeah, because you don't have a choice. You got to, it's... There's no hiding. There's no running. And it was dark and it was hard. Yeah. And those are some of the most transformative moments of my life. But now I have a very healthy understanding of like, oh, like you think, and if you think you can control it, if you think that there's some agenda, if you think you can take it and have your way with it, you have to realize it's stripping all of that bias that we've created in our brain that somehow we can logically control our subconscious. There's no hiding. All it does is illuminate every single shadow that we pretend doesn't exist. <laughs> And there's no getting away from it. Yeah. And so in my current life, the way that I live today, I prefer to recognize that there's a shadow that's there and try to shine some light on it on my own. And then if needed, have some assistance because I'm willing to do it with that intention. No different than breath work. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I've done ayahuasca. I've done psilocybin. I've done MDMA. I've done LSD. I mean, I've done the, the gamut. Darkness retreat too? Huh? Have you done the darkness retreat? Not for seven days. Not yet. It's on my top of my to-do list and it scares the shit out of me. Right me now. too, bro. Yeah. And so I watched OBS after he published his documentary on it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I saw that and I put it on the top of my list about six months ago. And because I'm scared of it, I know it's something I'm called to do. Stillness and silence no longer scares me like it used to, but darkness does. Yeah. And so- <laughs> It's going to stay at the top of my list and I'm going to work towards it and, and I'm going to be a part of it and, you know, you know, do those things. But when I really, really, you know, get down to it. Yeah. I, by the way, like I literally had a fear reaction in my body when you asked that question. <laughs> do me too. Just asking it. And I'm like, fuck, just yeah, brought it to the service again. It's another level because it's a muscle, right? I love float tanks. I've done eight hours in a float tank yeah. and I love it. I love it. But what I was saying is that it, it's so funny and have using these plants and doing the work. And I think they're fucking incredible. Yeah. But I think it's the intention behind the tool because on the other side of it, 
comparing ayahuasca, which I would consider one of the strongest plant medicines I've done because I haven't yeah. done iboga or straight DMT, doing that and having some of the most visceral life-changing experiences of my life have wailed in comparison to what I've done in breathwork and cold therapy without the plants. Yeah, breathwork is scary sometimes too. And so like one of the messages that I received, I had done a, a pretty heroic dose of mushrooms thanks to Kyle Kingsbury, you know. Savage. I appreciate him doing that. But yeah, you know, my first my first experience was like seven grams ever. So there Holy was no- Holy shit, bro. There was no ramp off. There was you're going to Mars and it was the greatest thing that would have ever happened because there was no control. There was nothing I could do. It was, I was gone. Yeah. I mean, past lives, regressions, acting out past lives, self-fulfillness, body worship. I mean, wow. I'll have everybody laugh for a minute. So I did this in the presidential suite to the Hilton in downtown Austin. And I spent three hours dancing naked in the mirror, loving every cell in my body. I'd never done that before. I literally would urinate and I had a gratitude practice for my urine and I saw parts of me coming out and I realized that I had never really understood what self-love was. Wow. Right? Like I would grab parts of my body, things that like earlier in the day I had body shame around or body dysmorphia and I would hold them. And I would worship them until I loved them on my entire body, from the tip of my toes to the top of my head, ounce by ounce by ounce. And it was insane. It was wow. insane. And, but on that experience, I met what I would call God. Everybody has their own version, right? Yeah. I believe in something greater than us, no matter Wait. which way you slice it. When you're in a fighting hole in Afghanistan or you see somebody get shot in the face or you get shot, right? Like you, you tend to have these perspectives that create this experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought one of the most powerful things happened to me on ayahuasca. The first time I ever sat with mother ayahuasca, I went in like, I'm doing ayahuasca. It's going to blah, 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 blah. And I'll never forget. I laid down one cup in and I closed my eyes. And the only thing I heard was, it's good to see you again. <laughs> And it like broke my paradigm. I spent eight hours in reflection of like what that meant. And it was like, good to see you again. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. It didn't make sense to me. About a year later, I was doing pretty consistent cold therapy without breath work. And then I added breath work and I did this massive breath work session, then cold therapy and then massive breath work session. And in the second breath work session, it felt like I drank eight cups of ayahuasca. And then the first thing I saw and heard was, I told you it was good to see you again. Wow. And I was like, oh, I keep thinking that I need something outside of myself or outside something that I don't already have to get to the same destination. In my opinion, the plants are just different roads to the same destination. And next to the plants are stillness, silence, meditation, darkness, cold therapy, and they're all tools in the same toolbox. And once I understood that, it very much changed the relationship because I wanted the easy button. I wanted to take something and get there rather than get there through simple things that I can do every single day things that are literally in my control. Like when we end this podcast, I'm going to sit down in front of my red light, put my stethoscope on and do breath work. And by the way, if you want a hack to really how to get there, 
when you do breath work, buy a stethoscope and listen to your own heartbeat. It will blow your mind. Wow, that's fucking cool. And so what I understand now is that simple things exist, but anything easy doesn't get me the result that I want in my life. Doesn't mean they're hard, but it means I have to practice it. Just like if I want to run a marathon, no matter which way I slice it, there's no button to hit shoes to buy or nutrition to take that's going to make me finish 26 miles without putting in the reps. Right. And so that's what I've learned about plant medicine. It mm. shared this paradigm and this perspective of me that gave me a fast forward button, but then gave me a very healthy relationship that said, you can live here and you can get here, but you have to do it. Hmm. Yeah, that was one of the pieces of curriculum that she gave me when I left. She was like, now that you've seen this, you need to figure out how to get there without medicine. That was literally oh. one of the one of the clearest, one of the clearest things, one of the clearest downloads. And dude, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I'm st- I do breath work, but it fucking scares the shit out of me sometimes, man. Like I'm like, I, I don't know what it is, but there's been some times where I don't want to go there. And I, I know that I got to go there. And it's like, it's, it's fucking crazy to me, our bodies, what we can get ourselves to. And that it, it, you, you know, when you get into those states of like holding your breath and like even doing Dr. Joe's meditations, man. Oh, yeah. You know, even a couple cheeky ketamine sprays or something like that. It's like, yep. dude, I I've gone to, and it's like you get. It's almost like this feeling of like, oh fuck, did I break my brain? Like yeah. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I get all like, after like after you move that 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 breath into your brain and like, it's scary when you feel like you've like completely lost control. It's control. It's fucking it's, it's crazy, a- bro. It's yeah. this illusion of control, right? Yeah. Like it's like for me, like something that I still carry shame around is dance, mm. right? Like no different, right? And I remember, I remember the first time I did a static dance. The first five minutes was like the most embarrassing feelings and shame feeling that I've ever had. And then when it was gone, I had no recollection of time of judgment, of what was happening outside of myself, because there was a path that was required to be walked to get to that place. And I think the most important thing is that no choice we make is wrong. Yeah. It's completely okay to be afraid. (laughs) And the more we acknowledge the fear and we accept it, it doesn't mean we have to go all the way in or we have to go open that door. It just means we get to be aware that the door was there and say, today, I ran a mile. Yeah. I didn't finish the marathon, but I ran a mile. And if I commit to this tomorrow, tomorrow might only be half a mile. Like a, a perfect tangible example is cold therapy for me. Yeah. I fucking hate being cold. Like viscerally fucking hate it. Like, oh, yeah. to that point, right? And I'll never forget, it's about four years ago. I know myself and I know that in the very beginning, I can't hold myself accountable to discipline required based on the life that I've lived. So I create external circumstances to borrow accountability from. And I knew I had a coffee problem. I had adrenal fatigue and I was being lazy as shit. And I was like, all right, I mapped this thing out for myself. I called up the push my limits challenge. And it wasn't about what I got accomplished. It's that I was committed to trying every day. 
And so I'll never forget. I said by 6 a.m. every single day, I was going to wake up, record, edit, and publish a YouTube video, do breath work, cold therapy, and CrossFit by 6 a.m. every single day for wow. 30 days. And I was going to document the process. The getting up was easy. That was easy. But I'll never forget that ice bath on my back porch when it was 33 degrees outside and the water was 33 degrees. Holy shit, that's cold. And what I remember is that I committed to doing an ice bath every day and I intentionally didn't commit to a length to try to collect evidence that I couldn't do it or I did it wrong, so I'd stop doing it. And so I just made a rule I had to get in the bath. The first 13 days, I never made it more than 30 seconds. Even on like day 10, no joke, bro, I jumped in and jumped out. And I was like, I did it. You did it. You didn't take a zero. I didn't take a zero, right? And then the craziest thing happened. Day 14, the water was the coldest it'd been. It was like 25 degrees outside. And I walked out and I was like, well, all I got to do is 10 seconds, right? I sat in the ice bath for 27 fucking minutes. Wow. And it felt easy. And I was like, whoa. And then the next day, it was like a minute and then 30 seconds and then five minutes. And I wasn't romantic about what it looked like. I was romantic about taking the choice. And then as it went on and as it went on, I got to do ice baths with Laird Hamilton. I got 37 minutes and 33 degrees. I even live streamed one of them on Facebook for 37 minutes, right? And now it doesn't matter how long it is, how short it is. All that matters is that in that moment, I respect myself and my choice to go. Yeah. And then I do it. And the same thing with the gym. Like when I went from competitive CrossFitter, because that was another way I proved my worth, thinking that I was going to be some fucking professional CrossFit athlete, no, to dad bod, to wanting to get back in the gym, I knew that I have this intensity in me and this never-ending start line that I keep moving. Like there's never enough. And I was like, all I'm going to do is commit to driving to the gym every day. That was it. And out of 30 days, there were probably seven where I literally drove to the gym. I sat in the parking lot for five minutes and I drove home. I celebrated the win and then I kept going, but I protected my progress. I built the confidence. I acknowledged myself and then I just kept going and just kept going. Mm. And so we just got to chunk it down, keep it simple, acknowledge where we are and protect the commitment to our potential, not the results that we create. Mm. Bro, this has been fucking awesome. Thank you. Oh, dude, I love it. I do this like 20 more times or for another six hours. Yeah, like you're, I mean, I feel like we could talk about so many things, bro. Like this is, this is fucking, this is one of my favorite conversations in a long time. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. Like, honestly. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you for holding space and for everybody listening. Thank you for listening to my truth and giving me time and the greatest gift that I can never give back to you, which is time. And so I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like, thank you. This was a gift for me, man. I got some fuel in my body right now. I didn't have this morning. So. Dude, likewise, you're such an inspirational dude and just, man, everything you've been through and just your perspective and the simplicities that you're teaching, even it's, you know, people want to overcomplicate things. And I think sometimes it's, it's the simple things that are the most challenging. And I just, I really appreciate your insight. And and I just wanted to bring you attention. You also fucking wrote a pretty dope book to a New York Times bestselling 
paleo book. Like, yeah, I wrote, I wrote, uh, it deal, was, huh? It's pretty fucking it was a 22 awesome. week New York Times bestseller. I launched the number one <laughs> app in the world 2015. I get featured by Apple's the top health app Dude. of 2015. I, uh, I, do, I do business too. I do business too. Like one yeah. of my companies, we're probably going to do a hundred million this year. You know, I, yeah. I, I do that stuff too, but I, I, it doesn't change. Like I said, that's not yeah. who I am. No, for sure. And that's what I love. I love having people come on the show and we don't even talk about, because I guess you probably talk about marketing. You do talk about all this business all, day, all the time. I want to know the human behind the store, behind that shit. That's what's fucking fascinating. I think that's the most important part. And I'll end with this thought. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's the most powerful thing because what drives me every day is knowing that my bank account balance, my successes and my accolades are not going to be on my headstone. And how I measure my success is not how many people show up at my funeral, but how many people show up for my family when I'm no longer here. Mm. That's it. Mm. And at the end of the day, when you strip the labels, when you strip the business, when you strip all that bullshit, all we are are people that want to love other people. And I think that's always the most important fucking topic. Mm. Well said, brother. Where can everybody check you out and find out more about you if they, they obviously love your story and they love yeah. what, you're, what you're doing? Yeah, I, I, I say you're probably in one or two camps. You, number one, probably believe I belong in a straitjacket. Well, good news, I've already been in one. You're accurate, so that's great. Or number two, you really want to know more. The easiest place to find me is Instagram. I have a podcast. I have all the fun stuff. My Instagram, I personally run. It's it's George Bryant. So I-T-S-G-E-O-R-G-E-B-R-Y-A-N-T. And I would love to hear from you. I, I handle all of it myself. If you have a question, if I can answer anything, if I can guide you, if I give you a resource, please shoot me a message and give me the opportunity to help if I can help. And then if you want to check out my podcast, which he will be on, I just have to get him on the schedule, is called The Mind of George Show. It's where every platform exists. We do two shows a week, and I'm pretty proud of that one too. Dude, The Mind of George, that's badass. Dude, I had to think of a fitting name. I was like, like how, do I, how do I encompass all this? This was the hardest part was naming it. And then I asked my wife, and my wife's like, yeah, like you can stick to a topic. Just call it like The Mind of You. And I was like, that's it. It's the mind of George. That is, it's great. And you guys make sure to go subscribe and check out the podcast, leave them a review, like, you know, show them some love, go there right now. You've had some awesome guests on there too. And oh yeah. 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 You've some of the I, world, some of the world's greats. So you'll, you'll appreciate yeah. this. Cause you just said this, my wife, my wife has a ton of horses and was at the horse bar one day. And one of the women at the barn was like, what does your husband do? <laughs> and my wife knows what I do. Because my wife's a way more badass entrepreneur and speaker than I could ever be because that's what she used to do. But she looked her dead in the eye and she's like, he likes to make famous people cry. And I was like, babe. And she's like, no, no, no. He likes to ask them real questions about the human, about why they do what they do and how they do it. And I think there's so much to be gained by that if we, if we crave authentic connection and truth over the accolades and the results. Like, I don't give a fuck how you're winning. I care how you felt when you weren't and what you did to get to the point that you're at. So I'm, I'm very much in line with you on that one, man. It's, it's an incredible place to be. Yeah. It's, it, it's sometimes it's tough because you get people on and they, they have this like cookie cutter sort of like script where they don't want to go. And I just try and push through. Like it's tough sometimes. It's like, I don't want to hear about your fucking, your, your, you know, your sales pitch. We'll get there. Just like, let's, let's just be two humans sitting down and fucking, you know, let's, let's try my favorite. One of my favorite questions 
to get people out of that. And it works every fucking time. And I only pull it out when somebody is like in their scripted head. I'm like, hey, if you could combine two animals to be your spirit animal, what would they be and why? <laughs> and no one has ever asked that question. And I've got the craziest fucking responses that you can ever imagine. That's but so it good. starts to like call on like, wait, what? Huh? Huh? Because somebody asked me that like five years ago. And I said a bald eagle and an orca whale was my answer. And I don't remember the why, but I'm telling you right now, I have a preloaded amount of questions that I can ask. That is the one that every single time, every single time gets him out. And I had one guest and I won't say his name. If you find the podcast, listen to it. I asked him and we had three minutes of silence on the podcast and I wouldn't break the silence. I would not do it. I was just staring at him just like this. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And then he finally said it. And the rest of the interview was so fun. Good thing. I was just like, I was like, if we have 40 minutes of silence on the show, I'm keeping it in. I'm going to hold this space for you until I get this answer because I want to know how your soul ticks. It's such a good one. You should try it sometime. Dude, it's a genius, man. I love it. All right, bro. Well, thank you. Again, this was this was so fucking fun, man. I really enjoyed this. And uh, this is my first interview in Brazil, so it's a special one now. It's, uh, I love it. Yeah, dude. Awesome, man. Well, everybody, sure to go check out your podcast. Check out your website. I love that video also that you have on your website. It's like, I don't know, man. You're a very likable guy, and it's. I was like, fuck, this dude's rad. Like, right up. And what, by the time they listen to this, the new website might be up. Yeah. And you want to talk about pink? The whole thing is pink with nautical theme and lighthouses everywhere. It is like one of my proudest moments. I was like, yes, it's coming. It's coming to fruition now. I'm going to make pink fucking cool. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. I got a freaking pink hair tie on my, on my wrist right now. I love it. I'm going to rip that off right I'll, now and put it on. I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the pink story on another podcast. We'll open that loop for everybody. Sounds good, bro. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Thanks, everybody. What a great conversation. George is a good, good dude, man. And uh, really, really love connecting with him. Make sure to follow him on social media. And if you guys can, really pushing the reviews. If you feel like it, go hit the five stars on Spotify, five stars on Apple, leave us a written review. If you want, it's a great way to give back if you got value from this. The more reviews we have, the better depending on what country you're in in the world, it shows up different, the amount of reviews. It's really weird. And it's not just like one bulk of reviews. It's like certain countries, it only shows a certain amount. It's really strange, but all of them help. Um, every review helps. And look, at the end of the day, I just want to get this into whoever needs it, you know, into the, into the, into, get this into the ears, into the, into the minds of people that need this help need this guidance need this knowledge from these amazing people that i bring on so everything helps and uh, i appreciate it all right guys make sure to follow george all his information is below and yeah you guys have a beautiful day we'll catch you next time